0: Hello, and welcome. This is Mark Winkworth. You're listening to Tales of the Sea. Today, I want to talk about some unfinished business. In an earlier episode titled Men, Fish, and Moby Dick, I got to spend some time exploring Herman Melville's impetus to uh, write his great novel about Captain Ahab and his battle with the massive whale Moby Dick. But there's another famous fish in literature that has always fascinated me. It's a story created by Ernest Hemingway. In The Old Man and the Sea, published in 1952, Hemingway wrote about a down-and-out fisherman named Santiago from a small village in Cuba and his epic three-days-and-two-nights battle with a giant marlin. Earlier this summer, an article in the New York Times caught my eye, and it made me think of Hemingway's tale It's another story of men and fish. Really big fish. The article covers a yearly fishing contest known as the Big Rock Blue Marlin Tournament. And uh, it takes place in Moorhead City, North Carolina. Uh, The summer of 2023 marked the 66th running of the tournament, and the prize was a whopping $3.5 million to the boat and crew that hauled in the biggest blue marlin. For the record, the largest marlin ever caught with rod and reel was an astonishing 1,560-pound fish caught by Alfred Glassell Jr. on August 4, 1953, and that was off the coast of Cabo Blanco, Peru. That fish was over 14 feet long and nearly 7 feet in girth. This year, 2023, some 270 boats in North Carolina vied for the big prize, including a team led by basketball great Michael Jordan. Jordan was fishing from an electronically sophisticated 80-foot-long vessel called Catch-23. Well, maybe his was the fanciest, but quite a few of the boats were equipped with sophisticated sonar technology that could spot and track a really big fish lurking far below the surface. Now, once the fish was spotted, the high-tech vessel would follow it for hours until it came within range of what they called a sure catch. And then there were the no-frills boats, uh, boats with just basic navigational aids. The New York Times article focuses on Ashley Bloch, the owner and Greg McCoy the captain of one such boat the 52 foot fishing vessel sensation now that boat had to rely on McCoy and his crew's 20 years experience at sea to make the most of the 6 day event um well they lacked the advantage of sonar tracking for finding and catching their quarry but they knew they had good instincts so the first 5 days of the big rock tournament passed without any of the boats capturing a giant fish The minimum size to be considered a winner was, according to the rules, 400 pounds. Um, And at this point, only one team had managed to land a marlin eligible for the trophy. That fish weighed in at 485 pounds. Well, it's a big fish, but not a really big fish. So the last day of the tournament, the Big Rock tournament, was Saturday, June 17th. One last day to catch the prize fish and capture the enormous prize money. The big one was still out there. George McCoy and the crew of the sensation were sure of it, and they made certain they got an early start that final day. It was calm and quiet that morning. No strikes and very little action. But then, shortly after two o'clock, all hell broke loose. (laughs) as one of the rods exploded with the force of a freight train. Something big had taken the flashy lure and was off and running at breakneck speed. McCoy and crew snapped to attention as the line screamed off the spool. Uh, Bailey Gore, who was one of the Sensation Team shareholders, had been the angler taking his turn at the chair at that moment, and it was all he could do to brace himself and begin the grueling work of holding on to whatever it was on the other end of that line when finally the fish surfaced. Wow, McCoy and crew knew they had a huge fish, if only they could manage to bring it in. Every second felt like a minute, and every minute felt like an hour. It was a blue marlin all right, and it looked a lot bigger than the earlier reported catch of 485 pounds. 60 long minutes passed, a full hour. The crew was facing exhaustion. Then, all at once, the huge fish made a desperate dive to a depth of maybe 1,000 feet, and then all went quiet. The line was impossibly heavy with the weight of the fish, but where was their prize? So was the marlin testing the crew of this sensation, staying deep, trying to outlast the men, or was it a heart attack? It's not an uncommon occurrence that when a fish fights desperately for its life, that it is too much of a strain on its heart. Or was it simply daring the fisherman to face the hours and hours it would take to haul in the massive fish without breaking the line? The article goes on to report that the uh, crew of the sensation was sure if they could manage to hang on, they would be declared the winner of the Big Rock Tournament. Dreams of sharing the $3.5 million prize began swirling among the crew. The ego boost of being known as the 2023 winners of the Big Rock Tourney grew as well. Hours then passed. The giant fish was finally brought to the surface. It had to be winched up and hauled over the stern and onto the deck. The crew's spirits were predictably high. Surely they would win the prize. The tournament rules state that the weigh station will remain open until the last boated fish of the day has been weighed in. It was just past 11 p.m. when the sensation finally pulled into the small harbor. Now crowded with hundreds of enthusiastic spectators, and, and they were all cheering the arrival of what they'd heard was surely the prize catch of the week. Boat horns blasted, music blared, folks waved and cheered. It was truly a special celebration. The huge marlin was lashed by the tail and hauled up and out of the boat to be weighed by the officials. A whopping 619.4 pounds. Once again, the crowd went wild. But the look on the officials' faces told another story. Somewhere along the line... Either during the struggle of the catch or during the hours needed to haul their prize to the surface, the enormous fish had lost chunks out of its tail and dorsal fin. Sharks were suspected. Just a side note here, under the Big Rock Tournament rules, any fish that is mutilated during the battle will be disqualified. When a fish is hurt, the rules state, the angler has an unfair advantage. In a Facebook post, the Big Rock Tournament president stated, when you fight and land a fish, you have to have fought 100% of the fish. In this case, the crew of Sensation, it turned out, had fought 100% of this marlin, minus a couple of sizable chunks. And just like that, the fishermen of the Sensation's dream of splitting $3.5 million vanished. The crew, having celebrated with plans for what they each might do with their share of the winnings, were left to console each other and their disappointed families with a promise to return next year, once again in pursuit of the big one. You know, on reflection, I think that um, Hemingway could have written this tale. And in some ways, more than 70 years earlier, I think he had, with his story the Old Man in the Sea. Hemingway had spent his earliest days fishing on the lakes in Michigan as a young boy. He was a natural sportsman and fierce competitor thanks to his dad's encouraging uh, love of nature and the out of doors. I think you can easily imagine Hemingway taking part in the Big Rock Blue Marlin tournament. In fact, he found big game fishing the ultimate challenge, as a fight with a truly big fish, was what he called a test of self. He would say, Il faut d'abord d'erreur. The phrase roughly translates to, You must first endure. In The Old Man of the Sea, Hemingway created the character of Santiago, a lifelong fisherman. And when we first meet Santiago, the old man's skills have long been dismissed by his villagers. Santiago was considered past his prime and needed to prove himself and the villagers that he still had it. This is a story that Hemingway had been thinking about for a long time. Um, At this point in his career, Hemingway was uh, 51 years old, and his latest books had not done well at all. Many critics felt he was already past his prime. But in the story, the old man needs to prove himself by catching a great fish. Hemingway needed to prove himself by writing a great book. He paints Santiago as a simple, uneducated soul. Hemingway writes, He was thin and gaunt with deep wrinkles on the back of his neck. The brown blotches of the benevolent skin cancer the sun brings from its reflection on the tropic sea were on his cheeks. He tells us that Santiago lives in a small shack and sleeps on a bed of newspapers. Santiago's wife is dead, and he is understandably lonely. Hemingway writes, Once there had been a tinted photograph of his wife on the wall, but he had taken it down because it made him too lonely to see it. Giving us a slightly more uplifting look at the old man, Hemingway writes, Everything about him was old except his eyes, and they were the same color as the sea, and were undefeated. Because Santiago had not caught a fish for nearly three months, 84 days in fact, the family of his young apprentice, Manolin pulled the boy from the old man's service, hoping to find him a more profitable position. Santiago was a man alone, with little or no hope for his future but not yet willing to give up. Determined to change his luck and once more gain respect from his village, Santiago takes his skiff far offshore into deep and dangerous waters. He is at once surprised when he hooks into a giant marlin. This sudden change of fortune is exciting, while at the same time extremely dangerous for an old man alone at sea in a small boat. For days on end, Santiago fights the monstrous fish for every inch of line, slowly pulling it in, hand over hand, his skin blistering under the strain. When the fish finally passes under the boat, Santiago can't believe its size. As the magnificent marlin continues to circle, he wonders if the fish is set on killing him. But he admires him for the battle, saying aloud, I do not care who kills who. Finally, on the third day, Santiago manages to pull the fish alongside the boat and with Herculean effort, desperately plunges his harpoon into its side. Hemingway writes of that moment, Then the fish came alive with his death in him and rose high out of the water showing all his great length and width and with all his power and his beauty. He seemed to hang in the air above the old man in the skiff. Then he fell into the water with a crash that sent spray over the old man and over all of the skiff. But Hemingway does not opt for a happy ever-after ending. The old man now faces another deadly challenge in the form of a huge and hungry mako shark. The shark arrives having smelled the marlin's blood, its jaws full of razor-sharp teeth. In a flash, it savagely snatches nearly 40 pounds of flesh from Santiago's prized fish. More fresh blood from the marlin spills into the sea, and more sharks arrive smelling blood. The sharks, in turn, take nearly a quarter of the giant marlin. Santiago bravely fights them off, only to face more sharks intent on eating his prize. Critics believe what happens next is Hemingway's comment on what it means to live, to respect all creatures, to chase success, to strive to believe in yourself again, and to hold on to that vision. The desire to catch that big fish and how it reflects on the need for respect is, of course, a potent idea. Is it about respect from others? Or is it about self-respect? But what about the prize itself? How big was Santiago's marlin? Hemingway tells the reader that the remains of the fish weighed in at 800 pounds, yet just the remains, the head, the sword, the skeleton, the tail. So it's fair to say Santiago was in combat for three days and nights with a creature probably close to 1,600 pounds. Santiago returns to shore with his once giant fish, and the villagers celebrate him. They understand his desire, his journey, his diligence. Their respect for Santiago once again returns, and his former apprentice, Manolin pledges to return to fishing with Santiago. Hemingway, with great understanding of the character he created, writes that in the end, Santiago falls into a deep sleep and dreams of lions. By the end of Santiago's tale, and much like the crew of the sensation upon learning they had been disqualified, both fishing experiences reflect one of Hemingway's most memorable lines. He writes, But man is not made for defeat. A man can be destroyed, but not defeated. In The Old Man in the Sea, Hemingway revealed how the old fisherman Santiago, and presumably Hemingway himself, felt about the sea. In his words, the old man thought of the sea as Lama, which is what people call her in Spanish when they love her. Sometimes those who love her say bad things of her, but they are always said as though she were a woman. Some of the younger fishermen, those who used buoys as floats for their lines and had motorboats bought when the shark livers had brought much money, spoke of her as Elma, which is masculine. They spoke of the sea as a contestant or a place or even an enemy. But the old man always thought of her as feminine and as something that gave or withheld great favors. And if she did wild or wicked things, it was because she could not help them. Hemingway, who had been dismissed by literary critics, won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction for The Old Man and the Sea in 1953. In the end, we're left with this sentiment from the tale, which I think speaks of the optimism Hemingway had towards his career and his place in the literary world. Hemingway writes, Now is no time to think of what you do not have. Think of what you can do with what there is. That ends this episode of Tales of the Sea. If you enjoyed listening, please share this podcast with a friend or two. And be sure to look for more episodes of Tales of the Sea on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, iHeartRadio, or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. I'm Mark Wakeworth. Thanks for listening.